Expert insight, clear analysis, strategy in action. Welcome to the CEO to CEO podcast, featuring the world's top CEOs. The podcast will welcome honest conversations meant to challenge traditional ways of thinking from fellow global industry leaders. This podcast will also explore the intricate world of M&A from an insider's perspective. M&A is a big deal, one in which you can drive the future of your business, your industry, and even the trajectory of the marketplace. This podcast is hosted by Kevin Campbell, CEO of Synity. Synity is a global enterprise data solution provider specializing in data operations and data transformation. Kevin is a global champion in data and has served as the former Group Chief Executive Officer at Accenture and COO of Oscar Insurance Corporation. This week, Kevin sits down with Adam Boynot, CEO of Highlane, a software consulting firm built on trust and transparency. Highlane's unique project-based technology solutions help the clients they serve embrace digital transformation while maximizing their return on investment. Before starting Highlane, Adam found success at Accenture and Avande, and later held leadership roles at Shenandoah Life Insurance, Net Ventures, and CTS. With over 20 years of technological-driven experience under his belt, Adam founded Highlane. It's a company that combines all of Adam's success in the technology world with his unique perspective of the client's world. Welcome everybody to this week's CEO to CEO podcast. Our guest today is Adam Voitnot, and Adam is the founder and CEO of Highlane, um, a IT services company. So uh, Adam, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm glad to be here. Why don't you start giving us a little uh, with a quick overview of your uh, career? Because everybody's always interested in hearing about how everybody else got to where they got to. Yeah, so it's interesting. So I studied finance at Virginia Tech, and I assumed I would be a financial advisor uh, coming out of school. But I was fortunate to come out in 1998 with a great job market. And I had six or seven job offers. And the one that paid the most was with Anderson Consulting and IT. And I was broke, so that's how I made my decision. So um, Anderson, of course, ships you off, teaches you everything you need to know about IT, and then bills you out you know, three weeks later, and you know, you're an IT professional. So I'm um, very fortunate that my career got into that track. Uh, it has been rewarding and opened up a lot of doors to have that background and have a, have a finance degree as well. So started off in consulting. Um, Anderson and Microsoft formed Avanade. I was one of the guys that went over to Avanade to um, you know, get that running. And after that, I went into industry for eight years for, at a insurance carrier. I ran operations and technology. And then I was a CIO of a software as a services firm who focused on operations software for YMCA's and Jewish community centers across the country. Then got back into consulting here in Charlotte, moved to Charlotte um, five and a half years ago, got back into consulting when we first came here. And then, um, three and a half years ago, started Highland. So that's uh, that's the, the two-minute version of the career. Great. And then uh, what what made you decide to uh, to found Highline? So for us, we saw an opportunity in the market because we the firm I was running in Charlotte, so it was a Birmingham-based firm, and I was running the Charlotte office. And it got acquired by a large uh, consulting firm um, headquartered in Canada, and for me, it was just an opportunity at that time to say, hey, you know what, I, I've got some nuances that I think matter in the market and can be appealing to folks. 
Um, so I wanted to go try my hand at that. The software as a services firm that I ran um, when I was a CIO, that kind of gave me the bug for, you know, can you do your own thing? Should you do your own thing? And then consulting to me is you know, something I started in my career with and you know, something I, I knew we were pretty good at is delivering projects and getting things done the right way. So um, it was the right time in our family's life, life cycle and also the right time in my professional life cycle. And how did you come up with the name? So the name is a combination of my daughter's names, Hilton and McLean. So we spell Hilton with a Y. So the H-Y-L and the L-A-I-N-E both come from, uh, you know, L-A-I-N-E from McLean and Hilton's got the H-Y-L. So for me, it was when you were starting a company, I took a walk uh, one day and I said, hey, I'm going to figure out the name of the company on this walk. Came back a couple hours later and said, I think I figured it out because not only does it blend the girls' names together, which is important to remind us that we are a family and we should do the right things all the time. But it starts to invoke that imagery of, of high lane or high road and, and doing the right thing, you know, executing at the right level. When things get difficult, as they do in the technology industry, you know, who's going to do the right thing? And that's, uh, I really like it from that perspective. And when you decided to, uh, to found the company, how did you weigh risks and opportunities? Right. Because I'm sure it's always easy to say all oh, the opportunities we could do all these things, but I'm sure there's been many a sleepless night, too. Yeah, there were. And it's funny, my wife has a picture of me. It's about the moment where we officially decided, OK, we're going forward and uh, we have an island in our kitchen. And I just kind of laid on the island and was like, oh, boy, here we go. And she took a picture of it and in her head. I think that's her, her vision of, of day one. But. Um, you know, the biggest risk, and I, and I tell this story a lot when, when people ask it or, or we have an event, when we decided to start it, I asked, I asked my wife, Dawn, I said, hey, if I take all this money that we have and, and I put into this and I blow it, are you going to divorce me? And she said, no, we're in this together. We'll figure it out. And I said, okay, well, if that's the, if that's the worst thing that can happen, then, and that's not going to happen, then I'm good moving forward. So that was, that's how it happened. And what, you know, today there's quite a few IT service providers of all size and, and depth and specialty. How did you basically decide uh, what your differentiation was going to be? Yeah, so we decided that we wanted to create a place that attracted and retained the best talent. So we hire that mid to senior level IT consultant. Um, and we think that bringing in talent, keeping talent, making culture a focal point for what we do um, matters, right? So we see a lot of times, and you know, for those of us who have been in the in the big firms, in your first couple of years, you know, I mean, they're really they're going to push you hard, and you know, two three years, you're going to you're going to you're going to bolt out of that, and that's not the model that we want. We're trying to build a firm that in our local markets, Charlotte, Raleigh, and Atlanta, today, you know, we're wrapping our culture around these folks. We're keeping them in the company. We're providing not only you know, great people to our clients, but great jobs for our consultants. It's one of the things that we, we want to look back at the end of all this and say we did is created a place where work didn't have to suck every day. And uh, they, you know, they come in, they enjoy it, they support each other, and, and they were proud to be a part of it. So it's you um, and, uh, you know, your ideas. How'd you go get your first client? So I had, you know, I had left a consulting firm to start this. So there was a non-compete in place. So my, my very first client called me at noon on the first day I was open and said, hey, we'd love to take this money and spend it with you. And I said, look, we, we got to pump the brakes for a year on that one. Um, you know, we had, you know, 
been involved in the in the area and a lot of networking organizations. So we had a you know good network of folks to reach out to. Um, so we kind of used we started in September and we used those first couple months as our ramp up uh, period of time. But we had some great conversations through those networking organizations. Aparo being one of them, and Aparo is a nonprofit here in Charlotte, which does some great things and brings IT professionals together as well. And you know, through those conversations, we, we landed our first, our first enterprise client. Our first real client that paid us money was a guy that came up to me on the basketball court that said, hey, I saw what you're doing and I've got this idea for an app. Will you build it? And I said, well, yeah, I can do that. I've got nothing else going on. So uh, yeah, first guy we actually did sign at my kitchen table. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's great. And I'm sure uh, there's been many more since then. How, how long have you been in business now? So a little over three and a half years. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so you know, you've gotten to the past the initial milestones and you know, now are in the scaling phase, right? Correct. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, one of the things I've been highly aware of, somebody gave me advice, actually TJ Eberly, who's one of our investors that most companies don't fail at startup, they fail in high growth. So it's something for me that I've always kept at the forefront of my mind is, you know, remembering high growth and how are we thinking six months, 12 months down the road to ensure that we're set up for that. Actually, I hadn't heard that before the high growth piece. I know it's true in the scaling, but I think that's a, a really good piece of advice there uh, to think about that growth phase and can you make it to that next, you know, where you matter, right? right. And, uh, and where you're delivering projects at, uh, at scale. Who, who does, so my guess is TJ is one of the people you look to for advice. Who else and how did you build your network of people to count on uh, to be the CEO? As I remind people all the time, uh, and you and I talked about before, CEO is a lonely job, right? It is. Yeah, so, you know, TJ actually had done something very similar years ago here in Charlotte. They built a consulting firm and he had success and was able to exit that. And now he's an investor. But And he gave me lots of great advice as I started this this company, and of course, he and I have dialogue weekly today about about you know what we're doing and how it's going and what to think about. Some others are more uh, observational mentors, and that so we we got a, when I was running the software as a services firm, we got acquired by our largest competitor, um, Daxco, and it was run by a guy at the time, David Gray, and he was a big culture guy. So when he acquired us, I had a six month transition period uh, to really be around him and get to know him and see what he did. And he impacted me a lot in that culture piece of it, right? And how he invested in his people, some of the things that he did day in and day out and why it mattered. Um, so David for me has been somebody who I've, I've sought to emulate from a culture um, perspective as well. When you talk about building culture, what are the things at High Lane today that are kind of important? You talked about family feeling and stuff, but tell me a little bit more about your culture. Yeah, so we have uh, an acronym called TRUST and transparent, results focused, upbeat, soliciting feedback and being thankful. Um, each of those things, it's not just something on the wall, right? It's something that we test ourselves against all the time. Um, the pandemic brought us some, some unique challenges, right? There was, a period, there was a period of a month where it was, you know, a lot of our clients called us and said, we have to stop all of our projects. We have no idea what's ahead of us. So, you know, we, but through that, you know, we don't seek to just be a cheerleader in the good times. We were very transparent with the team. We built that culture a lot through that, not only the good times, but some of the more challenging. And 
One of the other ones that we really focus on a lot of being results focused, right? So whether that's a policy we're seeking to put in place here at Highline or just kind of how we interact with our team. You know, are we doing something that's getting results? Or are we just checking a box, right? So one of the reasons I started this is I thought there was an opportunity to create a firm where you did more than just check some of those boxes, right? You were focused on results and you did things related to that. So we've all filled out kind of reports that we think are silly and in, uh, in, in some in some other size firms. And, uh, you know, so it's things like that that we may do, we will always question it and we build that up through that. And then the, you know, the other piece that I try to do internally and externally a lot of is, is really being thankful. You know, these folks sitting outside my office don't have to work here and our clients don't have to work with us. To your point, there's a lot of options. And um, luckily we've picked an industry where um, demand outpaces supply. So, you know, we don't get too hyper about all the other providers out there, but there are certainly options. So you talked about COVID. How has COVID changed your business? So being a relationship-based business, you know, externally and internally, not being able to be with people presented a lot of challenges, right? We had to adapt and, you know, internally, we had to adapt with our culture and our employee engagement team had to, you know, not, not, we used to put events on and we would go to events together and we'd be with each other. And now they were having to adapt to this world where checking in on people remotely was, you know, part of it, which can seem a little more stiff and formal than some of the informal ways but we do a friday morning meeting right i update the team we, we talk about some other things and at the end we do what's called shout outs and our team will shout each other out for stuff that they've done during the week and part of covid that was interesting for me is i would have people in those shout out sessions say hey i want to thank um you know chrissy or stephanie or sierra on our employee engagement team because they called me and just talked to me about personal stuff. And I needed it that day. I was really struggling. I was lonely. And that when you're, when you're the CEO and you hear that, you know, your culture is being, you know, pervasive throughout the organization because people are taking care of each other, right? They're not waiting on you to do it. Yeah. So important, especially in this time where we're by and large meeting, missing the human connection. Right. So uh, it, it was, uh, it was terrific. Um, so you were you started in Charlotte, and then uh, you went to Raleigh, which that's, right. that's just like a long drive uh, fr from there. But now you've taken the big jump, so you either got to have a really long drive or a quick flight uh, mm -hmm. for Atlanta. So what was behind that decision to expand in Atlanta? Yeah, so we actually hadn't set out to open up Atlanta, but. We got a, a phone call from uh, someone in Atlanta who said, hey, I heard what you're doing in Charlotte and Raleigh, and I think Atlanta would benefit from this. And we said, well, well let's take a look at, at the market, you know, at, at Tamara, who, who was running that for us now, um, who, yep. who we were talking with. And, you know, we, we like Atlanta. There's a lot of opportunity. But, you know, Tamara was the absolute right person. And, you know, we're entrepreneurial enough to say, you know what, this is the right, the right person. And during COVID, we did a lot of things to build up our ability to scale, you know, thinking about high growth, right? So we were able to say yes to the right person. And, and you know, every time I go down to Atlanta, I was just there and we actually got to go to my first networking event um, in, in over a year in Atlanta, which was great. They had 117 people on a, on a rooftop, um, ATP did. And that was a lot of fun, but everyone there telling me how much they thought of Tamara, how well connected she is, how, you know, she seeks to do the right thing. And uh, I'm glad we were able to make that decision. 
Yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, Ray Dalio, the legendary investment what, investor that I worked for him, mm -hmm. he, he, his favorite question is always, who's the who? So you can be asking at any presentation, uh, any strategy, anything else, but he said the who makes a big difference. And, you know, being a process Six Sigma guy, I focused on that for a little, but as the longer I'm around, I know I realize, and it sounds like that's what you found the right who. And uh, when you've got that right person there, it makes a huge difference. It does. And then, you know, she aligns with our culture. She's, you know, built that built that same brand and culture for herself that we would have wanted to. So, you know, when you find that, it, you know, it goes back to that, that adage, and TJ will say this a lot, right? Is find the right person, we'll find the seat on the bus. Right. We were lucky to get it. Um, growth. Um, and, uh, you know, have you, how do you think about, as you sit in your seat, the difference between organic growth or finding the right person and growing, and then maybe some M&A in the, your future? Yeah. So as, and as you're aware, M&A in the services space can be difficult. And I've been through it and I've seen the goods and the bad of it. Um, because, you know, you're changing culture, you know, people, it's an opportunity for people just to leave. And in our business, right, people are not only, you know, team members for us, but they're, they're the product at the end of the day. Um, so we do have a vision for acquiring other firms in the future. Today, it's been all organic. Um, but our, one of our big tests is going to be culture, because if we go and try to put our culture into a place that's dramatically different than who we are today, I think we run a high risk for people you know, having attrition, right? You might keep the clients for a little bit, but you're going to lose the people and you're going to get in this high recruiting cycle. So being a firm that's focused on culture, I think that will drive us in our decisions to, um, you know, who to bring into the, into the family later. Uh, we do, you know, we know it's a challenge. We, we've started to think about that playbook and what that's going to look like to be able to do that and what's important. Uh, we've built some additional tools in the organization to help us with that. Uh, again, during COVID, we had some extra capacity with you know, some really great consultants. So we built some, some tools that help with that as well. So I would say, you know, we'll probably be in the market for that in 2022, 2023. The first podcast that I did was with Joe Tucci, who's uh, uh, head of EMC, Wang before that, then EMC. Uh, and at EMC, he did 20 odd deals, right? And so I'm asking Joe, right? I said, what do you look for? Um, and, you know, I thought that, you know, we'd look at the combination of EBITDA and strategic value. And he said, Kevin, the, the thing I've learned the hard way is find people that see the world the, the way he phrased it was see the world the way you do. Right. He said, because if you don't see the world in the future the same way, you know, you're going to end up at conflicts and everything else is going to be. So he said, that's why it's so important in the beginning to see the world the same way. And I thought that was, you know, great advice. That uh, is. I'm right. going to tuck that one away. That's a, that's a great way to say it. Yeah. Two things, two questions I like to uh, ask all of our guests as we wrap up, which is, you know, who have been your mentors and, and how did you seek out those mentors and develop those relationships? Some have been, uh, so I'm a big, if I, if I see you having success, you will be someone I'm interested in gaining knowledge from, right? Um, so as I've seen um, some mentors in my life, whether it's been TJ or you know, David Gray that I mentioned before, 
or um, you know, watching the success of another guy, Jonathan Hagmeyer, who was a middle school principal. He started Interactive Achievement, which is an education software company. Um, they got acquired by PowerSchool, and you know that that firm has just flourished. All of his people kind of stayed in that PowerSchool environment. Um, you know, watching people like that, those are the ones that, from time to time, I ping and I and I'm like, hey, you know, what do you think about this, or have you dealt with that, or you know give me an opinion on, on this. And so for me, it's people who I've, who I've personally seen have a level of success. And I know they went through tough times, right? They didn't just step into a big job and keep executing that big job, right? They had to do something from nothing. Yeah. Who do you reach to when, uh, when you really, you know, things look dim for you, right? Maybe the beginning of COVID or some other external advice. So for me, it's at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, TJ Eberly, who I mentioned to you. Um, and then in those situations, my wife, who is the uh, chief underwriting officer for legal in general, um, you know, she has a lot of experience and she knows me the best. I mean, she knows what's real and where my stress comes from and, and those type of things. So that's at the end of the day, when those things happen, those are the two I reach out to. So that's a, uh, that's, that's an asset there to have your, uh, your wife understand risk, right? And how do you look at risk and how do you mitigate risk? I think. Yeah, very much so. But as you can imagine, a uh, underwriter has a different view on risk than an entrepreneur. Yes, so. <laughs> probably polar opposites, right? That's right, that's right. How, you, how you're looking at it. Uh, what's the best career advice you've ever gotten along the way? So it's something that I read early on. It was my senior year of college and it was a quote by Hugh McCall, who was, at Nations Bank at the time, ended up yeah. you know, Bank of America. And Legendary. he said, yeah, he said his, the thing he lived off was, of the motto was, take any job given, do it better than anybody else and ask for more. Um, and I think I've tried to really model that throughout my career. And it's something I remember all the time. And, I, you know, it, it, you'll have somebody come up to you and say, you know, I'm just slammed. I can't get to X, Y, and Z. And, and, and right or wrong, probably wrong. I don't think I've ever said that. There's never been a moment where I said, no, I can't do that. Well, I'll figure it out. You know, let's, let's figure out how to grind away and get that done. That's what makes you an entrepreneur, right? The, yep. We're going to, we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, Adam, thanks for being on today. Really appreciated it. And uh, uh, so a lot of good tidbits in there for, uh, for people to learn and listen to. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing these. And uh, everybody, thanks uh, for joining us today. And uh, tune in again in a couple of weeks when we have another uh, CEO to CEO podcast with another one of the industry leaders. Take care. Thank you for joining the CEO to CEO podcast. Join us next time as we uncover data strategies to support mergers, acquisitions, divestitures with the world's top CEOs.